0: decisions do you think the average adult makes in a day? So last night, about 8.30, I was going over my sermon, called up my friend. I said, what do you think? Right away, he goes, 35. A little bit later, I pulled my eighth grade son aside. I said, what do you think? He goes, a lot. I said, how many is a lot? He said, 65. Well, according to researchers at Cornell University, the average adult makes 35 thousand decisions every day. So there are 86,400 seconds in a day, which means on average, each adult makes a decision every 2.5 seconds. 216.7 of those are in food alone, (laughs) which, you know, it's good to fast, right? Because you eliminate some of those decisions. Now, um, today I've entitled my sermon, The Best Question Ever, Um, And I want to see if I can inspire you to ask a certain question whenever it comes time for you to make a decision. Certainly not all 35,000 of the decisions that you make on a daily basis, but at least a few times a day, especially some of those big decisions. Some of you got big decisions coming up um, that you would just pause and ask this question. This isn't a question I came up with necessarily. This is a question that uh, comes from Paul's letter to the Colossians in chapter 1 verses 1 through 14. And so, if you're new with us today, if you're a first-timer, you picked a great day to come. Uh, You braved the elements outside um, to be here today. It's a a great day to come because we're starting a brand new series called Elevate, and we're going to take eight weeks to walk through Paul's letter to the Colossians. We'll take about a half a chapter a week, and we will finish right before Palm Sunday, the following Sunday, Easter. So, Spring is coming. You just got to hang in there just a little bit longer. So before I uh, walk you through the text, I want to give you a little bit of, uh, of the backstory. Uh, Saul of Tarsus was a Pharisee, religious leader, who did everything that he could to get rid of Christianity. He was a, a Jew who was really, really intent on keeping the purity of Judaism. And he saw Christianity as kind of a toxic pollutant in the cup of Judaism, if you will. And so he hears that the gospel of Christ is is spreading throughout the Mediterranean world. So he comes up to the high priest and he says, can you give me the authority? Can you give me papers, stamp the papers? I'm gonna make my way up to Damascus, to Syria, so that I can cut off Christianity so it doesn't continue to spread. And so the high priest says, yeah, that sounds good. Here's your authority. Takes his papers, makes his way up north. And as he's on the road to Damascus, he, he's literally blinded by the light. You didn't know that's where that song came from, but he's blinded by the light, and he has this extraordinary encounter with Jesus Christ. I would argue it's one of the most important moments in the history of the world, certainly in the history of the church, and he has this encounter with Christ. He's blinded for three days. He eventually receives his sight. Instead of cutting off Christianity, he becomes maybe the greatest missionary who has ever, ever lived. He gets baptized. And if we go to our map, this is fascinating. His goal was to get the authority from the high priest and make his way up north so that it doesn't spread. But instead of cutting it off, he ends up spreading it. And he would travel to places like Galatia and Thessalonica and Corinth. And towards the end of Paul's life, about 30 years of ministry, he ends up finally making it to the imperial city of Rome, the, the you know, the, the seat of the empire. But his goal was to go to Rome as a preacher, but God had other plans because he went to Rome as a prisoner. And here he is in a Roman house church, not thrilled about it probably. He's chained to a guard every day and he gets some visitors from time to time. And as he's sitting in this Roman house church, he decides to pull out his pen and write some letters to these churches that he had visited, some churches that he had planted, some people that he had encouraged. And so he writes letters to, you know, to the Ephesians and the Thessalonians and, um, well, actually, back up. In the, the church of Rome, he writes letters to these churches, Philippi, Ephesus, Colossae, and a little letter to Philemon, and here's the interesting part. He had never actually visited Colossae, didn't know anybody there. But a man by the name of Epaphras, who either started the church at Colossae or who knew a lot of the people in Colossae because he had spent some time there, eventually makes his way out to visit Paul in Rome and says, like, Paul, it's great, the things that are going on in the church at Colossae, the people really love God, they're spreading the gospel but they also need some instruction because they've got some thinking that's not quite right. So can you write them a letter? And so Paul pulls out his pen and he writes a letter to the Colossians, and this is the really interesting part. He writes this letter around 60 AD from a Roman prison, and about a year later, maybe around 61 AD, there's a massive earthquake that destroys the city of Colossae. So if you're living there, you need to leave. Many of the people repopulated to Laodicea or some of the towns that were near Colossae, but the the city, about a year or so after Paul writes to them, no longer exists. Now, Uh, The world in the New Testament, you know, whether you read Paul's letters or or you read the Gospels, was under oppression from the Roman government, was under the the thumb of Romans. And if you went up to somebody during those days and said, hey, can I borrow a quarter, right? Can I borrow a coin? On one side of the coin, it might look like this. You might have the goddess Pax, P-A-X, the goddess of peace. And on the other side of the coin, you might have some weapons. And one scholar described it like this. This is peace by the blood of the sword. In other words, Colossians, the reason that you have peace, the reason you're not invaded by foreign armies is because we, the Roman Empire, take care of you, and we will do whatever it takes to take people out to preserve the Pax Romana or the Roman priest the the Roman peace and as uh, Horatio or not Horatio Horace one of the Roman poets of the day lived during the time of Caesar Augustus who was a ruler when Jesus was born he described it like this the emperor Augustus had brought back fertile crops to the fields and wiped away our sins and revived the ancient virtues so you Colossians and everybody else in the empire should be grateful for us and if the emperor ever shows up in your town you better get down on your knee and worship him, and you better refer to him as divine Augustus, as divine Caesar, or we're gonna throw you in the lion's den. Like, you can be Christian, that's fine. I don't really understand Christianity anyway, but you can, you can be Christian as long as you are willing to worship the emperor because at the end of the day, it's the empire that keeps the peace. So if you're living in Colossae, in 60 A.D., Paul's in the Roman prison, and Epaphras, Epaphroditus tells him what's going on there. You are um, likely wrestling with a whole bunch of thoughts going on in your head, right? You, you might be a Christian, so you've got Christianity going on, but you've also come out of a, a pagan lifestyle probably, so you're, you're, you've got polytheism going on, which simply means you worship all kinds of other pagan gods. I mean, They worshiped lots of pagan gods. Nobody really knew how many gods there were, but there were a lot. And, you know, the people living in those days were like, there's safety in numbers, so we better just worship as many as we possibly can so they don't zap us, so they send the rain so that we can have kids. There's this one moment where Paul gets into the Greek Areopagus, and he's like, I can see that you're very religious. I can see that you've got idols all over the place. And there's even this one altar to an unknown God, which is basically like saying, we've listed all the gods we know about, and just in case we forgot one, we've got an altar to an unknown God. So that was the world in which they lived. They would gather for community festivals, and they would eat meat that was sacrificed to idols, and they would worship the pagan gods to make sure that things went well with them. They also combined a little bit of materialism in here. You know, it's like, I gotta have it, I gotta have it. I need to have it. So you've got all these sort of philosophies going on in your head. And if I could summarize the entire book of Colossians, it's simply, Paul, Paul simply says this, you need to elevate Christ. You need to think like a Christian. You need to be exclusively put your allegiance to Jesus. So here's the very first thing Paul says to the church at Colossae. Pulls out his pen, has his paper, and he says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy. Timothy was this, this man that he mentored who would go to be a, a pastor at the church at Ephesus. Paul and Timothy uh, did a lot together. Apparently, they're in the Roman prison at this time, and they're spending time together, and, you know, Epaphroditus is there, giving them a report on the Colossians. To the holy, which means set apart, like you Colossians, you're called to be different, and faithful, which means steadfastness under pressure. Paul had no idea that in about a year they were about to lose their homes and lose their city to an earthquake. Brothers, which is a big deal. I use the word brothers a lot. Like I'll go up to people and say, hey, what's up, brother? But in Paul's day, if you were a faithful Jew you would only refer to another faithful Jew as a brother. You would not call a Gentile a brother, but he's calling the Colossians brothers. This is a big deal. And then he says, in Christ, right? In Christ, at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. And I wanna spend a little time on this word, in Christ, because this this is a great phrase. It's a powerful phrase, right? If you're a Christian You're in Christ, and Christ is in you. One scholar, David Garland, who wrote the NIV Application Commentary described it like this. To be in Christ means that believers are exclusively joined to him. One cannot be in Pox, the goddess of peace, or in Artemis, or in Apollo, or any other gods. You are exclusively in Christ. To be in Christ Means that believers are joined to a new family where the dividing lines that separate and categorize persons have been erased. He has destroyed the wall of hostility, and no matter what your race is, your skin color, your socioeconomic status, no matter your past in Christ, the lines have gone away, and we are part of one family of God. Being in Christ gives Christians their true identity that goes beyond their race, nationality, or clan. You are in Christ. You are in the family of God. Paul goes on. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Again, he's never met them, but he's praying for them because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. Now, when you read further in Colossians, you discover that they've got some theological things that are incorrect, but he starts out saying, I just want to thank you for the love that you have for all the saints. I've heard from Epaphroditus that you're doing a good job, that you're loving on people well. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Now, I have a little bit of an advantage over Paul in this moment because though Paul never knew the Colossians, I know many of you, right? Many of you I've known for years. And if I could borrow the language of Paul, I want to say to you, thank you for loving on the saints. Thank you for loving the family of God. Thank you for loving on 10-year-old children and for being willing to hold babies in the nursery on Sunday morning. Thank you for standing up in front of children and sharing the gospel with them. Thank you for circling up in small groups with children on Sunday morning to help them take their next steps towards Jesus and to love them like Christ. Thank you for many of you who show up on a Wednesday night and circle up with a bunch of middle school or high school kids to tell them how much they're loved in Christ. Thank you for those of you who lead small groups and you pray for your small group and you lead them well. Thank you for those of you who serve behind the scenes in tech and are willing to come out and take care of the needs of the building. Thank you for loving the saints. Thank you for being willing to suffer with those who suffer <laughs> and to rejoice with those who rejoice. Thanks for showing up in this place with an eye for newcomers, to welcome them into this family of God. Thank you for taking risks and starting ministries like the, the lumber bracks right? Who split and stack wood for those in need of firewood. Thank you so much for your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. I'm proud of you. Keep on loving on the saints. Thank you for that. That inspires me. That means a lot to me. Paul goes on. He says, I just want you to know, Colossians, you're in this little town. You might think that it's insignificant." But I want you to know that all over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing. All over the world, the gospel is taking root, and it's growing. You know, we at at Beartown Road Alliance Church, we're part of the the Christian and Missionary Alliance. There are about 2,500 churches in the United States of America. There's six million of us worldwide. Um, Here in the United States alone, we have 21 districts Right, so we're divided geographically. We call them districts. We are in the northeast district. So here we are, just this little dot right here on the southern tier of Pennsylvania and New York. There's about 75 churches in our district. It was really cool because yesterday we had about 200 of the leaders in our district come to this place and we worshipped. And we uh, uh, were part of a a group called Training Ground, where we um, just. Spent time together, got trained uh, in how to discipleship, how to do discipleship better. But one of the really cool things about the Alliance is the heart that we have to get the gospel all over the world. So, we as a local church this past year gave $52,960 to the GCF, which stands for the Great Commission Fund. And I uh, got online this past week and they made a video, and some of the international workers produce this video to tell you thank you. Thank you for supporting the Great Commission Fund. Thank you for being a part of this church that it may seem like this little dot on a map, but what you're doing, it's reaching to the ends of the earth. It's making a difference. So let's go ahead and watch this thank you video together from our international workers all throughout the world who are sharing the gospel. Let's go ahead and watch this together. Jesus says to love your neighbor, we need to be asking ourselves, God, what is my role? How do you want me to be a light we decided we were going to open up our facility every day, invite these migrant people, let them shower, provide them with hygiene items. We were serving breakfast to 30, 40, 50 people a day. And with every opportunity to serve them came an opportunity to share the love of Christ. 30% of people that live in our communities just don't have clean water to drink or to utilize in their homes. This last year, we were able to help a local farmer put in a deep well in his community, and he's able to now garden and farm year round. And out of this, he's He's had more opportunities to engage the farmers in his village and many have come to faith and they've actually started a fellowship. We planted ourselves in the university zone and all of a sudden we realized there's a hidden international community in the area. All kinds of people that needed a good coffee shop and then we end up talking about Jesus. We've actually started a monthly English international church. One of the really cool things that's happening in Colombia, and it's also happening in Chile, is that they have developed missionary training centers. And so the students come and spend one or two years learning intentionally how to be missionaries in the Alliance, who ideally are gonna take the gospel even further along. The humanitarian supplies we are able to send to the war zone are to refugees, to other cities. We grew from 10 churches to almost 30 this year. They go to the churches for help, but they also go because it's a place of hope. It's a time of great need and many sorrows and tragedies, but it's also a time that has opened the hearts of people to the gospel. We have responded to a felt need of unaccompanied minors who arrive in Spain, escaping from very tragic situations. Lodging, food, clothing, safety, friendship. Our home is also their home. We're excited about investing in the next generation, about bringing interns alongside of us and having short-term trips come and experience what it looks like to be the piece of Jesus in a hard place. That's just how we continue to multiply ourselves. That's how Jesus is glorified. That's how the kingdom is built. And we're just absolutely thrilled and excited to work with young people who are hungry. We are currently working with young teenage girls and young adult women, refugees, who have fled a humanitarian crisis in their homes home country. We've been providing space so that they could deal with very traumatic experiences that they've endured. We also take time to read scripture and we discuss those scriptures. A couple years ago, we started the Alliance Bible Institute. We have 20 students preparing for ministry. Another component is working with the youth, preparing the next generation To reach japan we've been here for over 39 years the longer you're here you see the fruit of all these years god is working we say often we couldn't go without the alliance church and we wouldn't want to without the support of the larger alliance we couldn't stay to be able to find something practical that you can do to help that brings great joy. It has meant everything. We just are so grateful for churches and, and individuals in the U.S. who support us and make this possible. It's not ours, it's all of ours. And we count it privilege to be on this end of that team effort. Knowing that we were not alone made all the difference. We're not alone. We're not in this journey on our own. You've supported ministries that are very dear to our hearts. We want to thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. This is the kingdom. This is the kingdom. What we do here in this little spot, this little dot in the southern tier is making a difference all over the world. And if Paul can tell that little tiny community of Colossians that would even be destroyed in a year, thank you, then I can tell you thank you. Because your ministry makes a difference all throughout the world. Paul goes on, he says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. And again, this is one of the reasons we should pray for missions, even though you don't know them, just like Paul didn't know the Colossians, he never stopped praying for them and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Many of us would say, you know what, I want to know God's will. I I want to know God's will for my life when it comes to vocation or what comes to relationship. And so he would say, okay, you want to know God's will? We pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. And then here it is, because I know you've been on the edge of your seat, right? You've been like, all right, what's the best question ever? You told me I make a lot of decisions in the day. Give me that question. Here it is. This is derived from Paul's statement that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and that you may please him in every way. The best question that you can ask yourself, whether it's a big decision, medium decision, is this, does it please God? Does it please God? Whatever it might be, vocation, does it please God? And I'm not saying that every time you ask that question, you're gonna get an answer right away, but it does put you in a place where you can humble yourself and say, God, I know you're gonna speak to me. Which way should I go? What should I do? Does this please you? And whatever God tells you to do, do it. Because your goal in life is to please God. That's your goal. We're called to to please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. So that... Now some of you, you need a little strength and encouragement right now, right? He says, so that you may have great endurance and patience. And he had no idea that a year later an earthquake would come and they would have to leave their hometown. Many of them lost their jobs and they would need the strength and encourage encouragement that God wants to provide them. And joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. And then he would give us this visual perspective about what it means to be part of this new kingdom this kingdom of light for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins so so paul says when it comes to being in christ right there's no there's no gray there's the kingdom of darkness and there's the kingdom of light and when you receive christ you get rescued. You get transferred into the kingdom of the Son. He loves, and I love this word, redemption. It's one of my favorite words. I mean, I, I say this all the time, but I love to remind you that on your way here, if you parked out in the main parking lot, you followed. T- you passed two great American institutions. You you passed Beartown Redemption Center and. Beartown Peaches and Cream, which is currently in hibernation, which in about eight weeks is going to come alive. We're going to celebrate the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of Peaches and Cream. But before you got to Peaches and Cream, you passed Beartown Redemption Center. You know what Redemption Center is. You take your old bottle that's all kind of cracked and beat up, and it's got a little bit of dirt inside, and it's been compressed, and it's been shaken. Some of you feel like that sometimes? I feel like this old bottle... And then you bring it to the Beartown Redemption Center. And I don't know how the chemistry works, so don't get all chemical with me for those of you who are chemists. But you give it to the Beartown Redemption Center and it's redeemed and it comes out as a Stanley. (laughs) Now, this this is amazing. I'll tell you an amazing story. I put this slide together on Thursday morning Several hours later, on Thursday afternoon, my friend, Hannah Weimer, came over to the house holding the cup of redemption. (laughs) And so I said, oh, I've got to use this in my sermon. Can you please stand here? I can take a picture. Now, she's like the perfect example of this because when Hannah was born, her parents put her in a box outside of an orphanage in China and walked away, the orphanage took her in, and then a little while later, her parents, Ann and Johnny, took her out of the box and redeemed her and brought her into their family. You talk about redemption, and she's one of the most joyful persons I know. And when I think of Hannah, I I just thought of this, this verse from Isaiah chapter 43. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have bought you back. I've put you in the redemption center. I've wiped off the dirt and taken care of the cracks, and I've made you new. I've summoned you by name. You now got a new name. Your name is Hannah Weimer. And you're no longer in the old kingdom. You're in the kingdom of light. You've been transferred and rescued into the kingdom of the son he loves. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. You might get a little hot. You might get a little nervous when you walk through that fire. But the flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You've been redeemed. You've been bought back. You've been made new and now you've got the spirit of Christ in you. You are in Christ and you can be like a Stanley that even though the earthquake shows up and a truck comes to try to run you over, you're going to stay strong because you've been redeemed and you've been made new and you've been created to please God. So will you ask that question this week? I'm called to please you. Does this, whatever this is, please God? Now, this is, this is a big theme for Paul. This isn't just found in Colossians. As he's sitting here in his Roman prison, again, he's like, oh, man, I've got to be in this prison. I'm going to write another letter. Right? So he writes another letter to the Ephesians, which is a bigger city, more cosmopolitan. writes this letter. Um, to to the Ephesus, and he says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light and find out what pleases the Lord. Find it out. Whatever you gotta do, find out what pleases the Lord. Ask that question. God, does this please you? Because that's my goal. That's my purpose, to please you. He'd write another letter to the Corinthians. This time not in prison. He was somewhere else when he wrote this letter. He says, so we make it our goal to please him. No matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, even if earthquakes about to hit, we're called to please him. So will you be willing to ask the best question ever this week? Does this job, vocation, relationship, purchases, does this please god and he'll let you know and whatever he says do it please him make wise decisions make good decisions and live with fewer regrets so we've been doing this season of fasting 21-day reset and Many of us have gotten into the habit the last 21 days of carving out that time to be with the Lord, to read our devotional. Some of you have fasted from food, fasted from lunch, fasted from social media. As my one son said to me, can we fast from school? You know, maybe you've done things like that. Um... And we're in the habit, so I want you to stay in this habit, right? Because being in this habit of being in the Word and prayer, it helps remind us to ask this question throughout the day, does this please you? So we're going to send you a text message this afternoon with this devotional. Um, Download the YouVersion Bible app, and you can get this devotional. Now, if you're sitting here thinking, I don't get text messages from the church, so if you didn't get a text this week about the worship night that was this past Friday night then you don't get texts from the church. So pull out the card that's in the seat back in front of you and fill it out and give us your information and you can get communication from the church. Um, If you're watching online, just email us, office at beartownroad.org and we will get you uh, those communications, okay? We're gonna celebrate communion right now. So I wanna ask you to just reach into the shelf in front of you and pull out this communion cup, And take the paper off the small part and put the bread in the palm of your hands. Now, if you've not really used to coming to church, maybe you're new today, you might think to yourself, communion's kind of strange. You may have even thought to yourself, singing songs in church is a little bit strange. I looked up the word strange. It means this unusual or surprising in a way that is unsettling or hard to understand communion is a little strange it's a little mysterious but it's a powerful thing here's the truth christians have always been strange right like david garland writes this christians were considered strange because they had no temples they're like why don't you guys have a temple Like every other god has a temple. Why don't you go to the religious feasts where we eat meat, sacrificed to idols, and we pray to all the pagan gods? That's just weird. Actually, a lot of Christians were referred to as atheists. Oh, those atheists, because they didn't worship the pantheon of gods. Many of the Christians were called cannibals early on because they're like, what do you guys do? You gather in homes and eat flesh and drink blood? That's just kind of strange. So just turn to your neighbor real quick and look him or her in the eye and say, you're strange. And, and say, you're even stranger than I am. But here's the truth. Here's the truth. In the family of God, in Christ, you might be strange, but you're not a stranger. He goes on, But they claimed, this is the Colossian church, they claimed boldly that they knew the truth about the one true God and that this God could only be known fully through Jesus Christ, whom God has raised from the dead. That might be a little strange, but it's powerful and it's life-changing and it's true. So put all those old ways of thinking behind and elevate Christ and ask that question throughout the day, does this please God? So there's an old hymn that was written years ago that we're gonna sing in just a moment that goes like this. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. I'm elevating everything above Christ. Sin had left this crimson stain, but he washed it what it As We looked at that quote before with the, the Pax Romana where the Romans were like, we attain peace through the, the sword and we shed other people's blood to get peace. Well, you know how you get peace with God? through the blood of the cross. Now, I don't want to rewrite this song, but if I could rewrite this song, I would add a, a chorus that would go like this. Jesus paid it all. I am in Christ, part of his family. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as a Stanley. <laughs> Durable and strong and unblemished in Christ. So the Apostle Paul says to the church at Corinth, gives them some instructions on how to celebrate communion. He says, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, you talk about an earthquake, having your close friend betray you. He took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is for you. It's for you. Do this in remembrance of me the body of Christ broken for you. If you want to remove the paper from the cup, the drink. Paul says in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is... It's the new covenant. And it's about to be issued tomorrow. Not when they're slaying the lambs as you celebrate Passover. There's a new Passover coming. That when my blood is shed on the cross, the angel of death passes over you because you're in Christ. Whew. You're in a new family. You're forgiven. You're unblemished. So do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. The blood of Christ shed for you. So Paul would say, you know what you just did? Well, I'll explain it to you. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Because one day he's coming back. He's coming back and we will be with him forever and ever. And all those international workers and all those people who met Christ in part because of what you did here, you're going to worship with them, with every tribe and every tongue and every language and every people group that spans the globe is going to gather together with all of the saints in one accord, worshiping our Savior and our Lord. And you think it's cool to elevate him right now? Imagine what it's going to be like to elevate Christ when he comes back. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come up right now and we're going to move this TV off to the side and we're going to sing this song, Jesus Paid It All. But before we do, let's go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes and let's think about the sacrifice that Christ made for us and let's ask him to give us the strength to please him in our lives. Take a moment to be silent before the Lord. God, I think about Hannah's experience of being a a little baby sitting in a box outside of an orphanage, powerless to do anything about it. And that's a lot like us, Lord, in the kingdom of darkness. And you came and you rescued us and you pulled us out of that box. And you transferred us into the kingdom of light. And we've been given a new name and a new family and a new reality that we were once dead, but we've been made alive in Christ because you paid it all. Nothing that I did, nothing that I will do, but everything that you did on that cross for me. Lord, in some ways, you elevated me even though I didn't deserve it. And would you give us the strength in this moment to elevate you as we walk throughout our days, asking that question, does this please God? How do I please God? Because there's nothing better than you. We thank you so much, Lord. I thank you for this church, this family of believers, and the incredible difference they've made in my life, the difference they've made in this community, and even the difference they've made across the globe. Thank you for the love in this place. May we continue to ask that question, how can I please God? We love you and we praise you. It's in the mighty, matchless, majestic name of the God of the universe that we pray. The God who is above all, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the God who is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.